Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. You are listening to the Financials Edition film today on Monday, September 12th, 2016. My name is Gabby LaPera, and joining me on Skype is John Maxfield, the Motley Fool's top bank analyst. Thanks for joining us, John. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks a lot for having me, Gabby. Absolutely. We have an absolute whopper of a story, and who else would we have join us but you? <laughs> this is a pretty good story. Probably one of the best uh, since I've been at The Motley Fool. Um, so, to take our listeners out of their suspense, we are going to be talking about Wells Fargo. You probably guessed that, though, if you've been anywhere on the internet since Friday. <laughs> I mean, just like on a major site, let's say Google, for example, or Yahoo. But you know, if you're on those random sites, maybe you wouldn't have come across it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know who you are, though. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so let's let's um, talk about what happened. Um, Wells Fargo, they found out that they had opened uh, up to at least two million false accounts, accounts that didn't shouldn't exist. Um, and they have been fined $185 million by a variety of agencies. And they have fired 5,300 employees in direct connection to this, to this case. Um, this is crazy! Oh my God! Uh, I was just talking to a friend of mine, and she's like, I don't understand what the big deal is. And we are going to tell you on the show why this is such a huge deal, in case you don't already know. Um, John, do you want to um, do you want to talk a little bit more about exactly what happened here? Yeah, so you know, Wells Fargo. You know, you can think about banks. You can analogize them to retail stores, right? These are stores where you walk into and people try to sell you things, right? So a bank branch isn't just a place where you walk into and you just get you just got to you know cash a check and nobody's going to ask you to buy any additional products. But the difference is that. Because it's not a tangible product, it's not as obvious. And so, in the banking industry, the best bank, when it came to cross-selling additional products to customers that walked into its stores, not its branches, it calls them stores, uh, Wells Fargo was the best when it came to cross-selling products. In the most recent quarter... So, wait, uh, wait one second. On. Um, sure. Just so you guys know, uh, bank products are considered things like mortgages, credit cards, checking accounts, savings accounts, basically anything you would want to do at a bank. That is considered a bank's products. Right. So, you, let's say you go into a bank, right, and you want to cash a check, right? You're just minding your own business. You walk into a bank. You got a check from your aunt for your birthday. You need to cash it, get your $100, and go down to whatever, wherever it is you want to spend your $100. Well, while you're there, the teller would say, like, oh, well, Gabby, would you also like to get, say, a mortgage or, say, an auto loan? Or would you like to open another account, say, a savings account that you can supplement your checking account with? And a lot of times, and we all know this because we all go into retail stores, right? Most of the time, the customers say no. Well, this is a problem for Wells Fargo's employees because its sales culture incentivized, in fact, almost by the sounds of it, demanded that they constantly be selling these, these additional products. Well, the problem is that there are not a lot of people walking into bank branches nowadays. So Wells Fargo's employees, it sounds like, had to come up with a workaround. And the workaround that they came up with was that they would sign customers up for accounts and credit cards and other types of banking products and services without the customer's approval. So let me give you a, a very specific example. So let's, you, you go in, you say you don't want any additional products, but they actually sign you up for, let's say, an additional checking account. Well, they didn't just stop at that. 
They would then go to your other account, the one that you had had for a while, that you had money in, that was authorized, that you used, and they would transfer without authorization money from that account into this new secret unauthorized account. And the problem in that case is that in many instances, it caused those original accounts of customers to go into, uh, to have insufficient funds fees, right? So you're, so you're not only opening unauthorized accounts, but you're also costing people money because you're moving their money without approval, and that's causing their accounts to dip below the minimum balance. And what's really interesting is that sometimes people would catch them and say like, hey, I don't know where my money went, and I suddenly have this overdraft account. Fix it. And Wells Fargo would say, oh, I'm so sorry, and fix it right away. But not everyone caught it. That's right. And in Wells Fargo, the, the way it works is that Wells Fargo would just say, oh, you know, this is a one-off deal. It was a mistake. It wasn't intentional. But what we came to find out in this settlement is that was it, this behavior was actually systemic and spread across the entire company. So one of the things that Wells Fargo tries to try, you know, the, the way they're trying to pitch this is that, look, you know, this behavior is the exception. It is not the general rule in terms of how we operate towards our retail customers. But the problem with that position is that we're talking about two million unauthorized accounts. That is far too many for this to be some sort of isolated scheme. And on top of that, to, to your point, Gabby, while Wells Fargo fired 5,300 employees, it goes out and says like, oh, well, that's just a fraction of the you know, roughly 250,000 employees that we have at the bank, right? So this is just a very, very small little group. But if you actually look at where their employees are allocated, it's only 100,000 of them are in their stores. So this means that more than 5%, so in other words, a very meaningful percentage of its employees in its retail stores were engaging in this type of behavior. And these were the ones that were caught, right? Like these were the ones that like someone audited and found, like there could potentially be other accounts. Is that correct? I mean, I, I suppose that's, that's totally a possibility. And the other thing to keep in mind, to your point about that, this, these are not just allegations that are, been, that are being made by the banking regulators. In fact, the reason, the, where we got that two million, those two million unauthorized accounts figure from was actually from an investigation that Wells Fargo did of, its, uh, of this problem. So this, this is coming straight from Wells Fargo. These aren't just allegations where you have to say, you know, Wells Fargo neither admitted or denied. I mean, Wells Fargo, you know, for all intents and purposes, has admitted what, what, what happened here. Yeah, and this is, this is really interesting. Just to get back to a point you were making earlier, um, we've talked on this show about uh, how much pressure Wells Fargo puts on his employees to cross-sell products. Um, this, is, this is kind of like a natural outgrowth of that if you don't have a lot of checks and controls. Um, so I guess my question here is, how high up in the Wells Fargo hierarchy do you think this goes? Do you think like upper management knew this was happening or were people who were lower down like just so desperate to try and make quotas because of the, the frankly what it sounds like punishing environment if they didn't um, that they decided to do this fraudulent activity like how what do you think wh where do you think it falls in between those two poles? Yeah, I, I think that's I, I think that is the question right now that needs to be addressed. So I think there's two ways to look at this. First of all, you know, John Stump, the C chairman and CEO of Wells Fargo. Look, I've followed John Stump for basically the entire time he's been CEO. 
and it, in my impression, I've always had a really good opinion of John Stump. And so I, it would surprise me if he sat in his office and knew that millions of accounts were being fraudulently opened. That would surprise me. At the same time, when you think about the scale of what's going on here, I, I don't, it, 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 it's almost beyond my imagination that it, this didn't go higher up in the company because how would you not know us about something this large? Right. And the other thing to keep in mind is that, you know, all of this behavior relates to the time period between 2011 and 2015. Okay. And this is a period, and we've talked about this a lot on the show, where banks are really struggling to earn the type of revenue that they're accustomed to earning, to earning the type of profits that they're accustomed to earning, and the reasons that interest rates are so low. And what that means is that that puts pressure on banks to find other ways to generate revenue. And so you can generate revenue either you know, through interest income or through non-interest income. Well, non-interest income comes from these account fees and stuff like that. The, the very, the exact types of things that, was a, that, that happened in this case. So you think like, oh, well, it also, not only does it make sense you know, that you know, these employees were incentivized to cross-sell additional products, but it makes sense that all this happened when it did because Wells Fargo, along with every other bank, was struggling to generate revenue. So evidently, you know, somewhere down in the chain of command, they thought that one way to do that was to be to short circuit the system and to open these fraudulent accounts. Oh, God. So the other thing to think about, um, you mentioned that this is a much more stringent regulatory environment, is that this, this is kind of coming in a long line of abuses that banks have had, not just Wells Fargo, Right, I think the most famous ones would be um, the overdraft fees on credit cards, uh, charging them in the order such that the bank makes the most money, um, and then of course the the mortgage fraud settlements that a bunch of banks have had to do. In fact, actually um, talking about that, Wells Fargo, this isn't the first time that they've had to pay out even this year because in February of this year uh, they agreed to pay 1.2 billion dollars as part of a mortgage fraud settlement, um, which was brought against the company in 2012. Um, and of course, that was that was for mortgages that were given out like right before the financial crisis. But like, it's one of those things that like <laughs> you see this in the news and you're like, why Wells Fargo? Why? Like you should have known so much better at this point. Yeah, I mean, so th that overdraft thing that was on debit cards. I mean, so I mean, to your point, Gabby. I mean, this is not just an isolated incident at an isolated bank. I mean, this is a pattern of behavior that is anti-consumer that is going on and has been going on for many years in the banking industry. And I know, you know, if there's any bankers listening to this, I know that they would deny that. But the facts are simply just just too clear that that is what's been going on. If you go back, you know, you, you have the overdraft thing that that to the point that you made, and and that was a really bad thing because what they were doing is they would go in and surreptitiously, for the I mean, they would disclose the fact that they did this in those like twenty page agreements that you would sign when you need to open an account, but nobody reads those, right? So for all intents and purposes, nobody, the, the typical person probably had no clue that this was going on. You would go in, let's say you had five 
right? You had five transactions in a day. Four of them were for lattes, right? $2 each, or I guess lattes aren't $2. What am I like living in like the mid 1990s or something? But let's say lattes are like what, $4.50 each or whatever it is. And then you had, let's say a car, you had to fix your car and you paid to fix your car, let's say a $1,000 fee. But let's say that that final transaction was the last one, that $1,000 transaction was the last one that day, and that that one kicked you into a negative balance, which then triggered overdrafts. Well, what banks would do is they would take that one, process that one first before your lattes, and then that would kick all five of those transactions into overdraft. So this that's really bad behavior. And in my opinion, besides this most recent case with Wells Fargo, that was really the worst thing that banks have been doing to consumers. But if you go back to around the internet bubble, all of the big banks analysts were pumping stocks that they shouldn't have been, that they were purposely inflating the price estimates on and being overly optimistic about them in order to get clients for their banks, so they were basically, um, you know, throwing the retail customers out in order to get wholesale customers. You know, they had the the all the mortgage stuff that you were talking about, and the mortgage stuff was really bad because the mortgage servicing behavior that the banks were that were engaging in fin- after the financial crisis not only kicked people and families out of their homes, but ruined their credit scores because they would go in and wrongfully, in fact, illegally foreclose on people with fraudulent banking documents. And again, this is not just one bank. This is all the big banks for doing yeah. this, time, this, this, this kind of stuff. So to your point, Gabby, I mean, and, and this really goes to, uh, you'll probably ask about this in a second, this really goes to the point like, well, what are banking customers supposed to do, right? If you're a Wells Fargo customer, where are you going to go, right? Because every, every other bank seems to be doing this type, same type of same type of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I have to disclose, I feel like that I closed down my Wells Fargo account in 2014, I want to say it was, as soon as I left Lincoln, Nebraska, because that was like the only big banking option in Nebraska. Um, as soon as I left, I closed my Wells Fargo account and um, moved to Bank of America and have had a much better experience. I think I was telling you earlier that I think that's the only time in history that anyone's like, wow, Bank of America is so great. <laughs> um, so I feel like I should I should let listeners know that I am a little bit biased when it comes to Wells Fargo on a personal basis, but I'm going to try and keep that out of it. But going back to what you're saying, like do you, I don't I don't know I don't know what consumers should do. Like if it were me, I would probably leave, but that doesn't mean that you necessarily should. I do think you should go over your bank statements to make sure that you only have products that you actually signed up for. Um, what do you think? What would you do if you're a Wells Fargo customer? Are you are you a Wells Fargo customer? I, I'm not a Wells Fargo customer. I'm a Bank of America customer as well. But he, here's the thing to keep in mind in terms of like whether customers will leave. It's not necessarily whether they should leave, but it's whether they will leave. That's oh, that's the true. Because, right? Like, should you leave if your bank is doing this to you? Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, like, or 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 else. What, I mean, what is going to cause you to leave your bank? You know what I mean? Like. The market should be sending signals to the banks through customers coming and going that either affirms what they're doing or 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 goes against it or or denies it, right? And and this type of behavior should not be permitted in the market, right? But the problem is that there are inefficiencies in the way that the in in that relationship between the consumer and the bank that don't that makes it difficult for the consumer just to leave their bank, even if the bank is doing something egregious towards them. And let, let, me, let me talk specifically about that. So there are these things called switching costs, right? So let's say you want to, in your situation, you left Lincoln, Nebraska, you want to open a new bank account, right? Well, the problem is that let's say you get, you're, you're already an established, you already have an established job, 
and, and so you have direct deposit going into that account. Let's say you, you pay all your bills out of that account automatically. So you have all of these strings that go out from that bank that make it really difficult and inconvenient at the very least to go from one bank to another bank. And it's for this reason that studies have shown in the past that P, the switching cost of switching from one bank to another is really high, which insulates banks from you know, the downside of bad behavior of customers leaving. So it, you know, whether, whether you should or should not, you probably should, but whether you actually will, uh, you know, that, that's totally dependent upon whether you're willing to go through the time and inconvenience, which most people aren't, of switching your accounts. Oh, I was. <laughs> that's a story for another time. Um, th but that actually does bring up something that I want to talk about. Like, obviously, you said that banks are insulated from customers leaving. Do you think that partially explains what we've been seeing in Wells Fargo stock price? I don't know if anyone has looked at it recently, but um, month to date, Wells Fargo is only down four percent, and the the KBW, the bank index, it's only I mean it's down 072 percent. So like you'd think that after this kind of shocking news that Bank or Wells Fargo would be would be way farther down, um, but it's not. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, kind of to the point that we've, we've made, I mean, it, 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 all the other banks have engaged in similar types of behaviors. So, it, it basically, all, they're all the same. So, it's not like I don't think investors are going to go out and punish Wells Fargo much more than, the, than they're punishing other stocks. Because I think it's pretty much been presumed almost over the last decade that this type of, unfortunately, that this type of stuff goes on. You know, and, you know, even beyond this, I, Let's not lose sight of the fact that, I mean, this is egregious what Wells Fargo did. It's horrible, but it's an still incredibly well-run bank. And, and yeah, and I when just, you to that point, I just want to point out. Um, I have a table in front of me that has the um, fines paid by banks over the last eight years. Um, so Bank of America is around fifty-eight billion. Um, J.P. Morgan is around thirty-one billion. Citigroup's around thirteen billion. And Wells Fargo is the winner at only ten billion. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a lot of money. It's a lot I mean, of money, but it's it's a lot less than fifty-eight billion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, but I mean it's and and so yes, so Wells Fargo it did something bad, but it you know on a relative basis, it doesn't seem to be as bad as many of uh, many of its peers. And then when you look at you know the under the, the the fundamentals of its actual business. They're good at managing credit risk. They run an extremely efficient operation, and as a result, they have one of the highest profitability figures in the industry, other than U.S. Bancor. So you, you, when you counterbalance this one instance, which you know you, you earlier in the show you said it cost 185 billion or 185 million dollars, that was the size of the fine. For Wells Fargo, I mean that's a big fine for you and me, but for Wells Fargo, that is a fraction of the five point five billion dollars or so that it earns. That's basically an accounting error at that point. Yeah, it's like a slap on the wrist. So mm -hmm. when you factor in, and then you look at the the other terms of the consent order between Wells Fargo and the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which was the regulatory bureau that headed this the, the action up against against Wells Fargo. I mean they're just not very stringent requirements. So. You know, when you counterbalance like the all the good that Wells Fargo brings to the table, I, I still think that that heavily outweighs the, you know the bad in this instance. Yeah. So your investing thesis, what I'm hearing, it hasn't changed. I mean, look, I you know you, you, you know it's it's 
I don't want to say that I approve of this behavior, not like it matters <laughs> if I approve or not approve, you know what I mean? But no, it really, it really hasn't changed my investment thesis. Now, that isn't to say that this won't have an impact on Wells Fargo, because again, one of Wells Fargo's core strengths is the fact that it cross-sells so much more effectively, and now we know why, than <laughs> these other banks, right? So the question is, how much does that contribute to its top line, and how much does that contribute to its growth, and then how much will that be dialed back now, assuming that Wells Fargo gets a handle on this type of stuff? Well, and it's not just that. It's Wells Fargo now knows that it's under it's more likely to be examined by a regulator. It's under a regulatory microscope that perhaps it wouldn't have been under before. And it's actually a really interesting kind of side story to this. Um, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which was the the agency that brought a lot of these fines, they they're responsible for 100 million of the 185 million dollar fine. Um, they're a really interesting little agency. Uh, there there was some doubt earlier in the year whether or not they were constitutional and they were even going to survive. Um, banks had been bringing suits against them. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with them post this Wells Fargo case because like clearly they caught a bank doing something bad against consumers, which is the whole point of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Like we, we were talking earlier that all the other regulating agencies for banks, they're there to make bank to make sure that banks survive. Right, and that our financial system doesn't collapse, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be on the lookout for consumers, which is the whole purpose of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Um, so maybe this will add to their case to let them stay, even if it's like they're reorganized or something. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 to, to, uh, you bring up probably the most important point for the bank industry overall that you, that you can kind of. Kind of deduce from this this case. So you know, talking about the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, it is pretty common that a new regulatory body comes out of a crisis in the banking industry. So if you go back to the Civil War, that's when the Office of Comptrollers uh, of the Currency came along, and that's what's in charge of the national banks. Then after the Panic of 1907, that's what you know led to the the Federal Reserve and then you had the Great Depression which led to the FDIC the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation well those are the three primary what we call prudential regulators of the bank industry and what they do their primary mission is to make sure that banks are operating in a safe and sound manner right because we saw what happens when they don't in 2008 right what that means is that the, these prudential regulators are actually, to a certain extent, trying to protect the banks from themselves. So they're doing this. They are acting on behalf of the banks to a certain extent. Now, the banks don't always like what the regulator, the prudential regulators do, but it generally is a pretty good thing for the industry from safety and soundness perspective. Well, the Consumer Financial Protection Agency is a totally different animal because it has no interest in protecting the banks. Its exclusive focus is on protecting the consumer. And because banks got so out of control in terms of how they treated consumers of the last few decades, that means that the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is almost innately adverse to banks. So for the first time in history in the United States, we have a regulator in the bank industry that is actually opposed to the banks as opposed to on their side. Yeah, I don't know. This story, the more you dive into it, the more complicated it gets. Um, I think that we are running out of time. But uh, final thoughts, you know, think for yourself about 
whether or not this changes your investing thesis. I think generally this is why people don't like banks because, <laughs> uh, as we were kind of talking about earlier with our own personal investing theses, uh, it doesn't really change it. And because Wells Fargo is the least bad of many bad options, <laughs> um, that that's that's why people hate the banking industry. In general, um, and this is kind of a wait and see what happens in terms of like further regulation for all banks, not just Wells Fargo. Uh, John, do you have anything else you'd like to say? Yeah, just to reiterate that, in my opinion, and I'm a shareholder of Wells Fargo, this does not change my investing thesis on a, in a material way. However, there could still be implications from all of this that could change one's investment thesis. For example, if Chairman and CEO John Stump eventually leaved, left as a result of it. Now, I, you know, that's just speculating that that will happen. I, I don't think that that will happen, but that could. And at that stage, I, I think it would be worthy, uh, you know, I think it'd be worth investors' time to sit down and, and to think whether something like that would, in fact, trigger you to, 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 to adjust your investment thesis. All right. Thank you very much. Um, I also want to thank, uh, I believe your name is pronounced Harris Arshad, um, who tweeted me with a question about why Wells Fargo's stock was down so little. We obviously included that in today's show. Uh, as usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Contact us at industryfocus@fool.com or by tweeting us at mfindustryfocus if you have any questions or you want to talk about this or you just want to be like, oh my god, this is crazy. Um, Thank you again to Austin Morgan. Um, I see you have your Redskins jersey on. I do. Oh, diehard believer. <laughs> He's a proud supporter. Believe, Austin. Believe, <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. I hope everyone has a great week.